The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode number 44 of the Latter-day Lives podcast. My name is Sean Rapier. I am so glad you decided to join us this week because we've got a great show for you. Uh, Brittany Wiscombe is a very talented writer and director, and she has a new movie coming out all about Emma Smith. We're going to talk all about it and about Emma and what an amazing person that she was uh, with Brittany. She's a very, very talented person. Um, That's coming up in the uh, conversation, and this week in my Latter-day Life, I'm going to tell you about the value of a couple of things I picked up this week. But before we jump into all that, I just want to thank those of you who took the time to reach out this week. We actually got more messages between Facebook and Instagram and email than we have ever gotten here at the show, and your questions were great. I tried to reply. I think I replied to every one of them. Uh, but we had questions about uh, or suggestions as to who we should have on the show. A couple of people sent in questions for our one-year anniversary show. If you have questions about the show, how it came to be, how we record it, how we get our guests, what guests we've had on, if you've got questions about the guests, about things they've said, or just things you love about the show or hate about the show, we would just love to hear it, and maybe we'll put it on our one-year anniversary show which we are putting together right now. So thank you to all of you. Okay, I think that's about it for uh, business. So let's get on with the show. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. My guest today here in the Latter-day Lives studio is a very well-known film writer and producer and now director, has an incredible new film coming out that we're going to talk uh, about at length. My guest is Brittany Wiscombe. Brittany, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Sean. It's great to be here. I'm so glad you're here now. For our regular listeners, uh, you will know Brittany. She's been discussed on the show, uh, though maybe not by name. Tell us who your brother is, Brittany. My brother is Brian Bruff, and he is you know, very much into film, directs a lot, and we produce together. Yeah. And so Brian was my guest uh, a couple months ago. He came on the show and we talked about uh, all the film stuff that he does. And he talked about your relationship and how you do some of the work with him. And I was looking through your IMDb and you have written a lot of, you have 15 writing credits. I mean, that's amazing. That's a lot. It's, yeah, I've, uh, I've really enjoyed it and it's amazing when I look back and think, how many is it? And I have to actually count, and I'm sure I'm, I might even be missing one or two, but <laughs> I've been very fortunate to be able to do that. Well, it's really fantastic, and you've written a lot of neat things and produced, but let's go back a little bit and talk a little bit about where you're from and where you grew up, and tell us a little bit about your younger life. Um, I grew up mainly in the south of the United States, in um, Tennessee and Georgia. Yeah. And... Um, you know, went to school, um, high school in Georgia, and then came out to BYU. Yeah. And, um, you know, kind of had my my education here in print journalism, actually. Really? Yeah. Go, going back to, let's go back to Georgia. Um, now, your family are all members of the church? Yep. yep yeah, which are. Brian and talked about a little bit on, on that episode. But so you grew up in the church. What's the church like in Georgia, well, especially when you were growing up? Um, you know, it was... Um, 
the, the amount of members of the church is pretty sparse. You know, we're kind of spread out. But um, I kind of felt in high school we had a decent amount of people there, um, you know, diff- decent amount of wards. And I felt like, you know, you could always go down the hall and see someone you knew from church. Uh, Tennessee, I was younger in Tennessee, and um, it was definitely more spread out there and yeah. um, not as much good information where people really <laughs> have sound information about Mormons. And so that was always a kind of an uphill battle. We've had several guests uh, on the show who have grown up in the South or have lived in the South. And I spend a lot of time, I'm in Arkansas a lot, I'm in Tennessee quite a bit. And the the Bible Belt, as it were, mm-hmm. which is pretty wide. Uh, yeah, there are a lot of misconceptions about Mormons. Yeah, yeah. And you always fight that. And I remember sitting in a uh, social studies or history class, something like that in high school, and of course, the first thing they say, what do you guys know about Mormons? And they throw out polygamy. And I'm like, well, <laughs> there's a lot more to us. And that's, you guys aren't quite getting the picture here. And that yeah. was, my hand shot up really quick in that class. At that For moment. sure. Well, you know, I, I had some similar experiences in California. Did you have to drive a long way to get to church? Um, not in Georgia and Tennessee. It was like a 20 to 30 minute drive. Yeah. So. It's amazing, you know. I'm, we live two doors down from a chapel, but we have listeners all over the world, and you know, people. We always hear these stories of people needing to drive an hour. And when my wife and I were newlyweds, in fact, we were twenty, twenty-five minutes, even in California, where mm-hmm. there's a high concentration of members. So th- this took you out to uh, BYU, and you were studying print journalism. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I kind of always joke that you know, I always wanted to write. But I just didn't want to do English because I, I wasn't sure what I was going to do with that, right? An yeah. English degree. Um, I didn't really have a desire to teach or anything like that. I'm like, what do you do with that? So I went to print journalism. And I remember sitting in an interview um, towards close to the end of graduation, um, you know, for an internship or no, I think it was for a job. And I was sitting there. I was at one of the newspapers. And I'm like, I really have no desire to do this anymore. Like, I don't want to write articles. I'm going to write something more creative and yeah. fiction based, and uh, be able to expand there. And so, yeah, that was kind of a little bit of a uh, that was your launching off point. Yeah, yeah, that and combined with uh, Brian, uh, my brother, started hiring me um, just to be a production assistant. You know, as low as you can be on the totem pole. Yeah. Um, in the film industry. And so that's how I got my feet wet there. And uh, yeah, started me down that path. Now, were you a writer when you were young? Have you always had this kind of desire to do creative writing? I have. Yeah, I wrote, I used to write lots of little stories, nothing great, you know, I mean, very uh, representative of my age at that time. Sure. Uh, But I always enjoyed that. And I think partially because I read a lot, like I would read constantly. Um, I loved reading, you know, novels, anything I could get my hands on. What what type of novels did you like when you were growing up? Was there a genre or was it just anything you could get your hands on? Um, when I was younger, like, you know, in eight, nine, I think I had just about every single Babysitter's Club book that there oh, was. Oh, the Babysitter's Club, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then, you know, Nancy Drew, and I really enjoyed that, and Hardy Boys, and then, you know, growing up, yeah, I got into t- Tom Clancy and, yeah. you know, more mysteries and actions and exciting stuff intrigue i was really into the great brain i don't know if you know that series it was actually an lds author uh that and then all the rolled doll books Uh, i was a reader too i couldn't get enough of it so when you studied print journalism you never actually went into the field of print journalism no i didn't i didn't you know i did an internship you know i I went through the the whole process during school at, at byu yeah but then never really had a job in it so did anything from that 
help you with the writing that you do now? It did, actually. I really like in print journalism, the emphasis is on um, telling the information in a quick way, succinct way. And that's so important in film because yeah. you can't have, especially nowadays, you don't have 20 minute long <laughs> intros just to get you, get your feet wet into the story. You got to move a lot faster, you know? And uh, so it's helped me in that way. It's also helped me be a stronger editor in terms of both editing my own work and then even just, you know, things around the office. Um, yeah. I so. can see that. You know, it's funny. We, we, when I watch films from the sixties and seventies, the setups, it takes seven, eight, ten minutes for a setup. We watched with our kids. We watched the original Planet of the Apes. There were scenes that were three and four minutes without dialogue, just somebody walking. <laughs> <laughs> we go, yeah, that probably wouldn't fly today. Yeah. So, so you got brought on as a PA, production assistant, mm-hmm. and tell everyone what the glamorous world of being a production assistant is. Well, when I started, I actually did think it was pretty glamorous. I was like, wow, you know, and all you're doing is running around doing whatever anybody tells you yeah. to do. Just, But, uh, you know, now I look at it and I'm like, oh, it's such a critical... Every piece, every person yeah. is so critical on the crew. Um, but back then, I didn't, you know, you don't get that big picture until you move up more and, and have yeah. more experiences. But yeah, definitely not glamorous. Go get somebody a uh, bottle of water, go get this from Crafty, go block off this area and make sure no person, no pedestrian is just walking through the shot. And, yeah. uh, you know, at one point, sh- shovel this manure and onto the street, you know, for this <laughs> one shot. I'm like, okay, you know. It's a glamorous job, I'll tell you. It's funny because, you know, I've been on set many times and, and you know, the, the PA, all at once, it's kind of the lowest, most entry-level job. But then you get on a set with a bad PA and you go, holy cow, this guy kind of runs the place. Because they really do. They fill in every little gap. Yeah. And did you did you love being on set? I mean, did you fall in love with film right away? Yeah, there's a, there's just that energy and that excitement and there's always the glamour of of movies, right? And the more you work, the less glamorous it gets. But um <laughs> it's the reality check, well, isn't right? That truth. Yeah, but yeah. It, it's just that energy. You catch the bug, you know, as, as you kind of say, you you get the you really get your feet wet and then you want to do more. Um and so for a few years I I was freelancing um as a production assistant assistant and then in the production office and kind of there until we we moved on so so what was the first project that you wrote that was produced the first one was beauty and the beast a latter-day tale yes which your brother brian says is his sort of favorite it's like his favorite production of everything although he says he watches it with a very critical eye too yeah you know and being that that was you know the first um we've come a long way (laughs) you know i've come a long way um Brian directed that one. We both have learned a lot and, you know, have only improved. But you look back on that production and it was so nice because it was it was small. Um, it was it was like working with friends, but, you know, not half measured uh, efforts. Everybody was really, you know, working yeah. hard. Um, and uh, the result was wonderful. You know, it was a wonderful little story. Do you get critical of yourself when you look back at it? Do you go, how did I write it like that? You know? <laughs> Do you, do you do that or do you just sit and enjoy the process? Um, well, looking back, yeah, you can't help but be critical. Um, but at the same time, I also recognize, hey, how many years ago was that? I've, yeah. I've changed. I've gotten, I've Good improved. I've gotten more experience. So you can't really, you know, you can't really, um, I don't know, what's the word? 
insult yourself? What do you say? You can't be too hard on yourself. Yeah. When, you know, when you're talking about something that was over a decade ago. Yeah. I, you know, I've, I've written a lot of uh, corporate film and commercials and things. My downfall is if I watch with other people and there's a really funny line and they don't laugh. Oh, no. It kills me. I go, <laughs> what are you doing? That was funny. Everybody should be laughing. Yeah. Was it exciting to see your words come to life? Yeah. Yeah. That first time. And... Was the story your idea? Uh, yeah. Well, it was based on, you know, the... It's based on Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. But, yeah. So kind of... But to take it and make it into today, was that was that kind of your concept? Yeah. You know, I can't remember. It might have been... Brian and I collaborate so much that it might have been like, hey, what if we did this? Okay. And I'll go write it. Yeah, it, it could have awesome. happened like that, but um, there's a lot of collaboration that that we do on on all of our films. Yeah, and then you are also a producer on all these things. Uh, we have not had anybody uh, in here as a self-proclaimed producer of sorts. I guess Kells Goodman does mm-hmm. some producing on his own stuff, but tell us a little bit about what a producer does on you know, on set. You know. Um, a producer in some ways can do a little bit of everything, you know, just as much like a, as a PA might. Uh, it's different types of things and maybe things that are a little more critical. Yeah. But, um, I mean, for me, a producer is doing whatever it takes to bring the project together, get it set up um, so that you can actually film. Yeah. Putting out fires during filming. Yeah. Um, and, and even seeing it through, you know, afterwards in post-production. Making sure that not too much money is spent. Yeah, yeah. It's a big part of the producer role, too. Yeah, and that's part of the, you know, putting out fires, too. Okay, there's a problem. How do we solve it? Yeah. Um, And sometimes it's throw money at it, but I don't really have that luxury very often. So it's more (laughs) of what can we do to creatively solve this? Yeah, that's fantastic. So you you leave BYU, you start working on these, uh, on all of these films. Do you only work with your your brother with the the stuff that you guys do together? Or do uh, do you do other projects as well? Um, now I only do our own projects. Yeah. We have a, a family company, uh, called Candlelight Media Group. Um, and so my Brian works there. I work there. Yeah. We have a sister who works there, our parents as well. And also some wonderful, you know, non-family employees. Isn't that amazing? Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So we all work together now, but it's all on, on our own productions, our own concepts awesome. from, uh, you know, the idea all the way to the end and getting it out to people to see. And you've stayed in Utah this entire time. You've never left and moved out of Utah. I yeah. Once I came, once I came, it was just it's just home. This is I've lived here longer than anywhere else, and it feels like home. I love the just the the people. I love the ease of getting around. It's not too crowded. It's I don't know. It just whenever I go travel anywhere, when I yeah. come back, it's the oh okay now everything's good. It's a lot more peaceful here than anywhere else I've but, lived. It's awesome. Something I didn't ask you before when we were talking before we started recording. Are you married? I am. Yeah, you are. And children? Yep, I have two kids. How old are your kids? I have a son who's nine and a daughter who is six. Awesome. Do they get caught up in the movie making stuff? Do they love being on set? Um, just recently, yes, on my latest project in Emma's Footsteps, I have uh, included them, and I think they're starting to catch the bug a little bit. Oh, that's awesome. And what does your husband do? Uh, he works for Adobe. Oh, very and, cool. Yeah. And how'd you guys meet? We met at BYU. Of course. Yep, yep. We lived in the same ward for like a year before we even knew of the other's existence and then hit it off from there. That is just awesome. Well, I want to make sure we've got lots and lots of time to talk about your newest project. Now, In Emma's Footsteps, tell us a little bit about what it is and how it came to be. In Emma's Footsteps is um, about Emma Smith 
And it basically follows or picks up after the martyrdom um, of Joseph Smith Jr. Um, And really, it's kind of that journey of seeing things through her eyes. What was it like? What did she have to face? Um, And, uh, you know, it was was a very long um, development process. I mean, it's been on the front burner, the back burner, you know, for like the last like eight years. And so we've had a lot of um, a, a lot of different ideas of what to do, but it's, it's the core idea behind it was, you know, there's still people who, who might think badly of Emma Smith because she didn't come West with the saints and, you know, any other uh, reason that they might have. But, and what I really wanted to do with this story was show what it was like for her. And then hopefully people see, okay, well, how would you respond in any challenge? And would you want to be how would you want to be seen by other how, people? How did you research this? How did you learn so much about Emma Smith? Um, we had a, another writer on it initially uh, named John Angler. He's a wonderful person up in uh, northern Utah. Um, and so there was some you know, research there. I, you know, did, uh, we also have worked with the Joseph Smith Jr. and Emma Hale Smith Historical Society, which is made up the, of the descendants of Joseph and Emma. Um, I would guess there's a lot of, a lot of history there. That they yeah. would have, they would have a lot of the records, yeah. Yeah, and so you know, there's a lot of lot of research, but you know, the hardest thing was like, okay, there's these things. How do you pull it together into a cohesive story? Has and it ever really been told been in a film? Has there ever been a film about Emma's life after the martyrdom? I can't think of any. Not that I'm aware of, and that's why we really wanted to do it yeah. because you know, some people, yeah, that was great. Emma was, you know, they might think Emma was great up until Joseph died, and then yeah. does she get written off and? Yeah, kind of. I think she does, and that's. I kind feel of like this is really this. this is an important and timely film because it feels like Emma is having a renaissance. In fact, the church has come out and has various apostles have talked about Emma, mm-hmm. saying, you know, hey, you're wrong if you're judging Emma. Yeah, you know, she went through a whole heck of a lot, and uh, you know, when when you read about how much Joseph loved Emma, it's just inspiring. What did you learn about? What surprised you that you learned about Emma? Hmm, that's a good question. Like, were there things you maybe had preconceived notions about before? Maybe this has been so long that it'd be hard to remember. It is kind of hard to remember, but you know, I had um, our company distributed a film called Emma Smith, My Story, which kind of was oh, yeah. a companion um, viewpoint to Joseph Smith, Prophet of the Restoration, that the church mm. did, uh, and that was kind of you know the restoration through her eyes. And so, I already had a very positive view of Emma. I think from that. Um, uh, and so for me, I never really had a bad uh, viewpoint of Emma, but I do like find myself, you know, clenching my fist when I hear somebody being talking bad about her. Um, sure. Because, and I think, you know, what you're saying about how church leaders have even come out and, you know, um, talked about her positively, how we also, I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't you want to be talked about positively? I mean, wouldn't yeah. each of us, none of us is perfect. And I fully am aware of that. No one, uh, no one is perfect. But that's yeah, all the more reason and, why we need to be more Christ-like. You know, it's interesting because I, I, I hope that when people look back at my life, that they judge me not only according to me and my actions, but my circumstances as well. Exactly. And I think there are so many times where it's easy to look back and go, well, how could this have been? How could this have happened? Or how could that have happened? And, you know, when you look at the, when you look at church history, you look at some of the early apostles who fell away and you go, how did they fall away? How did this happen? And then the more you dig into it and the more you read, you know, the more you start going, ah, 
I get it. We've had family members who have left the church and who have actually become quite apostate. And oh. I, for a long time, I don't, I don't know that I'd say I carried hard feelings towards them, but, uh, over the last couple of years, I've just had to tell myself, you know what? They were doing the best they thought yeah. at the time. And they were in the church at one point, and I wouldn't be here without them. And so there's a lot of gratitude. The other thing I look at is how would the prophet Joseph Smith want us to remember Emma? Yeah. You know, exactly. it's got to be difficult with all the sacrifices that he made. And here was the central focus, uh, the love of his life. And yet there's still question marks you know, about her. Well, so, and to your point about sacrifices too, she, she sacrificed so much too. And even after Joseph died, there's lots of sacrifices and things that she had to, to face. And that's, that's exactly, you know, I love what you're saying about people looking at your actions. We'll look at the circumstances around them because yeah. that totally changes things. Absolutely. Who plays Emma Smith? Shona Moyer. Shona Moyer. Wonderful. Tell us a little bit about Shona Moyer. Shona is a wonderful, wonderful actress. We've worked with her several times before um, on different projects. And she um, actually, I was thinking the other day how it came to be that she came to be Emma Smith. And um, and we had been talking about it just off offhand, you know, over the past few years. And just like, you know, you do her hair the right way or whatnot. She actually kind of looks like Emma, you know? Yeah. She's a good kind of a good match for her, um, and then there's her acting ability, which is just wonderful. So, yeah, Shona plays Emma Smith just very well. I love. And the is way. she from Utah? She is now. She's originally, yeah. um, I think, from the UK. She has a wonderful British accent, mm. um, and uh, um, that she has to hide <laughs> in about this to say, film. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she doesn't. Well, and I haven't seen any of the video, but I've seen the press shots. I don't know how, but when I look at the press shots. My first thought was, wow, that's Emma. Oh, good. And I don't know how. I don't know why <laughs> it was, but there's something about her that is very much, that's Emma Smith. Good. That's very cool. Now, this, correct me if I'm wrong, but is this the first film you've directed? It is, yeah. How was that? Uh, nerve-wracking. Yeah. 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 A little bit intimidating. Yeah. Well, you know, um, as we talked about, you know, my brother and I worked together, and we had a very busy year, and Brian yeah. was so busy on other films, and... I knew this story inside and out and out because I'd written it and it kind of, we were just thinking, you know, this is the time, this yeah. is the time for me to, to step into this role. And so, you know, I, from casting to, you know, just, and producing it and everything, like it was a very busy summer last year, getting ready for the yeah. shoot and then filming itself. And, and uh, I mean, you've spent so many years around film and you've been on set so much and everything else. Were there things that surprised you about directing? Yes. The, the, the idea that everyone is looking at you for answers. That, um, which, I mean, when you think about it, well, yeah, of course. But actually being in that position, it was weird when, um, you know, makeup would have a question. And uh, I'm like, why? It's so weird that makeup would ask me a question. But of course, you know, everything comes back to you. And, and that was kind of interesting just that responsibility and also juggling that because suddenly you have all these questions coming around and it's, you know, get everybody the information they need so they can keep working and we can, you know, get going. It's got to be great though, directing something you've written because I've had times where I've written things and then someone else directs them, especially when I'm not on set, 
that then I watch it later and go, yeah, that's not at all how I pictured it. You yeah. Know? That's not the guy or that's not, oh, you missed the, the timing on whatever. So for you to be able to bring your words, really bring them to life, that must have been super rewarding. Now, did Brian come on set? Yeah, Brian uh, uh, produced this as well. So we produced this yeah. together. Um, and he actually was the director of photography on this, uh, which yeah. is wonderful too, because, you know, I knew um, the thing that I was worried about directing was, okay, I know how to tell a story word-wise, and I th- feel pretty comfortable with the performances, but the visuals, that was that was new to me. And so oh, Brian, awesome. you know, has really helped out with that. And that was a great comfort to know I had some support there. It's really fun hearing both of you talk because you both talk about each other like you're almost two halves of a whole, you know, like <laughs> he talked about you the same way that you guys just work so seamlessly together that it's just, it's really easy, which is nice. If my siblings and I tried to work together, it'd be World War Three. it would be over, <laughs> it'd be terrible. Um, and then you've got uh, an actor who, uh, in the film, who is very well beloved on this podcast, has a very popular episode, which is Scott Christopher. Yes. And you've worked with him on other projects as well. Yeah, yeah. We worked with him on Singing with Angels and um, also a movie called Not Cinderella's Type. And I'm trying to think what else. But And then, of course, in Emma's Footsteps. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's one of those things I had, I had kind of all the roles kind of cast and then we're kind of thinking um, also with his look, right? Because he's got a great look. But I'm like, where does he fit in an 1840s time frame, right? Yeah. Um, and then we were thinking, hey, he'd be great here. So he plays Joseph the Third. So this is Emma and Joseph's um, oldest son. Um, so he plays him as an adult in the 1870s. He is awesome. Yeah. I mean, you've got some really professional actors here. I mean, I was looking through the cast and I recognized several of them. How hard was it to cast? Um, it was pretty hard because this was probably the largest cast that we've had on you know one of our films that we've produced before you know a lot of times it's like okay we've got 10 to 15 roles we can do that not a big deal you know that includes people who are on for maybe a day or two but here we had um 45 oh my gosh um and so i felt like you know with the auditions i was looking at everybody and like okay i have so many holes to fill and I've got one person and I've got three roles I'm considering him for. So what do I do? <laughs> uh, I mean, thankfully, Shona was already cast. Yeah. And Liz Christensen as Mary Fielding was already cast. So that was, you know, two big main roles right there. Okay, I had that done. But getting the support around them, it was a process. And How, how many of the actors were LDS? Did you have non-LDS actors? Uh, I think there set? were some, but I, I really, I don't know. Um, yeah. You know, we. Uh, I know some are definitely LDS. I think some... I think there probably are a decent handful uh, that were not, but yeah. everybody just worked well together. I mean, it's a job. It's a job. It's a business. And yeah. that's my next question is, this is a job. This is a business. At the same time, you're telling a pretty darn important story that is that has some incredibly spiritual elements, because there's no way to tell Emma's story without showing the way that the spirit guided her and some of the spiritual experiences that were had. Mm -hmm. How do you balance that when you're on set? Or do you just treat it as a business and know that the product is going to come out with that? Um, Yeah, there's kind of, there's definitely a balance. I mean, part of it with the writing was I kind of felt like, okay, I put all of the, um, my heart and soul into that. Okay, now this is bringing it to life. So as long as I am going back to what's on the page, 
we should be okay, right? Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, bringing that to life with the performances, I think, was important. But every day, you know, there's so many things going on, and we shoot fast. We had to shoot fast. Uh, you know, we'd shoot about 10 pages a day. and uh, You were shooting 10 pages a day? Yeah, yeah. Between between 8 and eight and 10, depending that's on the day. Lot. But yeah, it was, yeah, it was definitely a, a lot. Of, it was a lot. Um, I remember one day, actually... <laughs> We filmed like 13 pages and it was mostly all in, it was like all in one room. Um, and so we sped through it as much as we can. And the per- one person had most of the dialogue, but the other person had just a little bit. But by the time we got to his coverage, it was like, you get two takes, go. And that was it. And then we had to call it a day. Um, but yeah, it, so I think partially with balancing the spiritual and the fact that it's a job is just how we all act on set. Um, and that's where I really have to, you know, say thanks to my brother because Brian is so good at just being yeah. calm. It doesn't matter if things get out of hand. He he tries to be calm. He tries to treat everyone with respect. And that's um, a great example that I've had because I, I just try to emulate that as well. Yeah, Brian is so talented and so respected. You guys, your whole company is just, I mean, everyone I know who works with you. I know a lot of actors who work with you oh. and they just say nothing but good. Do you think that being a woman directing a woman's story, you are a mother, you're a wife. Do you think that gave you insight that maybe a man, that maybe Brian directing wouldn't have? Um, Maybe. You know, I uh, I can't speak to how a man might view. I guess you can't, yeah. You know, but for me, it was, was, you know, I could could certainly feel um, just the tug at my heart even, the idea of, you know, how many children she lost. Oh. Uh, which I think was six children. And and then the idea, we have one wonderful scene of, um, I should say powerful scene, it's a sad scene, of you know where she receives the news of the martyrdom. And um, we have the kids um, kind of oh. reacting um, just slightly, you know, but yeah, you but, see them yeah. in the background kind of. And when I think about that, I'm like, how hard must that have been just for her? But then you look at the family. And that's something that I think we haven't seen as much is the focus on the family around her, Mm-mm. you know, her kids. And yeah. they were so important to her. And that was just always her motivation of being with her family again, uh, which, of wow. course, so pivotal with the gospel. So that was something that always, um, you know, would, might catch me off guard and kind of choke me up and uh, try, to, try to keep that yeah. in my mind, though, because it's such an important element. It's where I don't know if I, as a man, can picture, especially back then, if I put myself in that time, the roles were so completely different, mm-hmm. you know? And so I don't know that I could have the same level of empathy that you, that you or that a woman with children could have carrying on from that time. I think it's really special to have a woman directing, writing and directing to tell this important woman's story. I think it's just the greatest thing. It's exciting. So if people want to see this film, what, what do they need to do to see, uh, to see in Emma's footsteps? We'll be opening up here in, um, Utah, um, exclusively at the Megaplex theaters, which is a a chain here in Utah, Awesome. uh, starting June one. Um, and so definitely go, go, I mean, I'm sure you've talked before about how LDS film really needs that support from viewers here. Um, but, um, yeah, we need, you know, people to go out and see it and support it. And, um, beyond that, we are actually have a few showings in Arizona this month, um, before Utah, just kind of a, there's a a great population of, 
of LD, of Latter-day Saints there. So and you did a little bit of a pre-screening at the LDS Film Festival, right? Uh, Some of the scenes? Uh, we showed, what did we show? We showed the trailer. Yeah. I think it, it might have just been the trailer. Was it just the trailer? Yeah, because yeah. we, yeah, yeah. That's so I think you I think you you hit on something really important, which is I hear people say, "Why isn't there more LDS film?" Mm-hmm. And then you ask them, "Well, did you go see this?" Oh no, did you go see that? Oh no, yeah. this is one that I think that I just think is so important. I think we need to see it. I think this is a story that has needed to be told from this perspective for a long time. If there's one thing that you want people to walk away, that now you must feel like you kind of know Emma. I would guess, right? I mean, you, you know her, you know her journey a little bit. We can't put ourselves exactly in her footsteps, but we can see it. If there's one thing you wanted to leave people with about, what would you want people to know about Emma? Um, I think I would want people to know just how much she treasured her relationship with God, and how much mm-hmm. she looked after her family, and how when you factor in those two things in addition to all of her wonderful charitable acts and caring not just for her family, but other people, she really was a wonderful person. Yeah. And just, you know, you know, again, the biggest t- takeaway is let's all give each other the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> let's all look beyond just Ugh. actions and, and look at the heart. Couldn't we use that just a whole lot more? Well, it's great. I'm, I'm really excited to see this film. I can't wait for it to come out. It's, I do not, I'm not a big early church history guy. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know a lot about Emma. And so I was actually, after we got done interviewing, I was telling Brian that uh, I'm just super excited about this movie because I want to get to know Emma a little bit. I only know what I hear in bits and pieces. And uh, and so I'm I'm really excited about it. Now, obviously, your plate is full with getting this massive project out to the people. <laughs> but then what's next? Do you already know what's coming next? Uh, yeah, I'm working on a few different scripts right now. Um, and, and part of what I do, too, we have um, in our company, we'll sometimes hire out for other p- people to write things. Yeah. But then eventually, it comes back to me and I got to go through it. And, you know, how's it doing? Um, give people feedback. So that's been keeping me busy as well. And uh, I'm supposed to be working on two scripts right now. And I haven't really gotten patch- past the outline on either one of them. So I have a lot to get to, to uh, get to after this, but um, yeah, this is definitely the big, the big thing on my plate right now. I, I can only imagine as writer, director, producer, everything. I mean, everything on this film, it's got to be Herculean. It's going to be pretty exciting when it, uh, when it gets out to theaters. So people can check the megaplexes it opens uh-huh. on June 1st, June 1st. And if people want to see it um, in areas outside of Utah, um, the best thing to do would be to go to inemmasfootsteps.com. Inemmasfootsteps.com. Yep. And uh, you can request it there. And, awesome. um, and you know, it's hard to set up a showing for just a handful of people. So really we need the, you know, if there's a group that really wants to come and, and uh, watch it, we can see what we can do and, and set up a sh- uh, showing there in yeah. different parts of the country. Because you have, you have great relationships with uh, film distributors throughout the country. I mean, you guys know all kinds of film distributors. And if, if I would say if our audience out there, if you want to see In Emma's Footsteps the way it's meant to be seen on the big screen, in the theaters, yeah, reach out for sure. I mean, if you're willing to uh, get a big group together, you know, I think this would be a great single adult or multi-single adult or multi-stake activity or yeah. whatever. Heck, I uh, rented out an entire movie theater 
when the newest Tron movie came out a few years ago. Oh. So <laughs> if I can rent a movie theater for Tron, we can certainly do this for Emma Smith. So I think that would be great. Well, Brittany, this has been just wonderful talking to you. And and I'm so excited about this film and, and all the other projects that you guys are working on. Um, we're going to close today with the question that we ask all of our guests. It's a, a good open-ended question, which is, what does being a member of the church mean to you? Um, it means feeling com- confident and comfortable and at peace every day. Mm. Um, I think with if I were not a member of the church, I wouldn't have that. Um, and that would affect and kind of destabilize my family. Sure. And, and certainly myself. And so it's just the wonderful perspective. That's what, you know, that's what being a member of the church is. Wow. Beautiful answer. That's perfect. The film is In Emma's Footsteps. The writer and director is Brittany Wiscom. And uh, go check out uh, com. And on June 1st in Megaplex, go check out the film. Brittany, thanks so much for sharing your Latter-day Life with us. Thank you so much, Sean. My special thanks to Brittany Wiscom. Isn't she just amazing? So talented. I cannot wait to see In Emma's Footsteps. Go see it. Uh, support the film. It's so important and such a great work that they are doing uh, with it. Thank you, Brittany. Uh, this week in my Latter-day life, you know, I picked up a couple of new things this week that I'm really excited about. One of them is the new HomePod from Apple. Now, if you don't know what this is, it's just amazing. Basically, it's got Siri built into it. We use Apple Music, and I can walk up to it and I can say, hey, Siri, play this artist, or hey, Siri, play this style of music, and it just starts playing it. In fact, it was really fun. On Sunday, you know, we like to have the spirit in our home. I said, hey, Siri, play music by Garth Smith, and we sat all day listening to music by our old friend, Garth Smith. And what a blessing that is. How cool it is to be in this technological age where I was able to say it. It was an expensive speaker, but man, to have all that IQ built into it and the amazing sound, it's just been a fun toy to kind of mess around with this week. The other thing I got was very different. It was actually two things I got. Uh, My parents are moving and they are downsizing. And uh, my father reached out to me and my two sisters and uh, he offered us a couple of things that I wasn't expecting. Uh, When I was a young man, my grandfather was my hero. He was six foot four, muscular, just such a great guy, and uh, did construction, had big, strong hands, and and just incredible construction worker, and uh, very talented at woodworking, especially. And in fact, when uh, I was eight, nine years old, I remember he was building his own house with my grandmother uh, overlooking Lake Comanche in California, just a beautiful house perched up on the hill, which was always his dream to build his own place in in an area like that. And when I was nine years old, um, we would go up and we'd help them build and we'd spend the weekend up there. And then my parents sat me down and, and told me something I really didn't understand. They said that my grandfather was sick. Well, how could that be? My grandfather was this big, tough guy. He was the strongest guy I had ever met. And uh, But he was sick. He had something called cancer that I really didn't understand. All I know is that every time we'd show up, he was a little bit thinner and looked a little bit weaker. 
and didn't look as much like himself. And it was, it was a little bit scary to me and upsetting. And pretty soon he had more and more people working on his house and he wasn't working on it as much. And then I noticed we were visiting him, not at the house, but in the hospital. And then one day when I was 10 years old, my father sat us down and let me know that my grandfather had passed away. And that was devastating. And I went to my room and I cried and I cried every night. I cried for weeks. How could my grandfather pass away? Such good memories of him. In fact, not only did he build his own house, but he was a foreman for a construction company. Uh, And he was the foreman on a little project at Disneyland called Pirates of the Caribbean. I think it's one of the reasons I love Disneyland so much. I associate it with him and his stories of, uh, of helping to build Disneyland. Anyway, uh, he taught me a lot, and he taught me about woodworking. In fact, just before he passed away, we made several cutting boards. He taught me how to cut them out, how to, how to trace them, how to use a router to write in them, and I still have one of those cutting boards that we made together. And so my dad let me know that what he was giving us was some of my grandfather's old tools. And I was so blessed to inherit my grandfather's hand saw and his hand drill. If you've never seen a hand drill, you put your hand on top of it and there's kind of a handle you hold and then it goes down and it kind of forms a U and there's another handle. They're wooden handles. And as you crank it around, it drills. There's a drill bit at the end and it drills into wood. And that's what my grandfather used probably, I don't know, from the early 1950s, maybe even 1940s, these hand tools. And boy, they are built solid, but they are worn down. These were his tools. These were his tools of the trade. And it's what he actually used. And my father has been holding on to these. And he had a couple things for my sisters as well. And he gave them to us this week because they are needing to downsize. I'll tell you what's interesting when I look at and juxtapose the, uh, the, the saw and the drill with the new Apple HomePod. I think if I were to put the drill and the saw into a thrift store, uh, people would walk right by it. Who wants an old drill? Who wants an old saw? And yet, right now, these HomePods are just great, and they cost a lot of money. Our home is littered with things that were the newest, hottest thing. I remember when we needed a 40-inch tube television that right now, literally, Deseret Industries, Goodwill, they don't even accept tube TVs anymore. I remember when we needed that multi-function copier, fax machine, scanner, printer, because all those faxes we may be sending or that we may be getting. I remember when the newest BlackBerry would come out. Oh, I have to have the new BlackBerry. And we laugh at it now. And now if you were to take those things and put them in a thrift store, no one would pay a dollar for them. Not at all. They are worthless. And someday this Apple HomePod, this speaker that we bought, someday we will be laughing looking back at what a technological marvel it was. And someday we will be giving it to a thrift store, maybe just throwing it in the trash, because frankly, it's just not worth anything more. It will outlive its usefulness. But this hand drill and this handsaw that belonged to my grandfather, you could not give me enough money for it. Come to my house and offer me a million dollars, and I'll say no thanks. There are scriptures that say that the hearts of the children shall turn to the fathers, and the hearts of the fathers shall turn to the children. And that has a lot of meanings. And of course, there are temple meanings and there are restoration meanings, but one of the meanings of it also 
is the importance of genealogy. And I love my grandfather, and this is a physical manifestation of who he was and what he stood for and what he did with his life. And someday I'm going to pass these things along to my kids. And by the time I'm old enough, I actually this week's my birthday. I turn 46 this week. If I'm really, really fortunate, I'm right at midlife. I can live to 92. That's what I'm hoping. And maybe in 30 or 40 years, I'll pass down these tools to my kids and tell them how important they were and tell them about their great-grandfather. I'll tell you what, they're going to appreciate that a lot more than a, an old speaker. So I'm grateful for those things. Uh, the older I get, the less I like things. The less things matter to me. It's one of the joys of getting older. But there are a few things that really, really mean something to me. And that is what is happening this week in my Latter-day life. Hey, thank you so much for tuning in. It just means the world to us, and the, the show just keeps on growing. If you know someone who would enjoy it, and you may have to teach them how to use a podcast or where to find the show, please, if you could, share it. Boy, we're just trying to get the good word out to as many people as possible. Again, I can be reached at Sean, S-H-A-W-N, at latterdaylives.com, or reach out to us on Facebook, on Instagram. We try to answer every one of our messages. We just love hearing from you. So be sure to tune in again next week. We have got such a special show next week. I mean, it's different than anything else that we've ever done, but I'm really excited about. So be sure to check that out. Until next week, though, as always, please remember, there is a great big beautiful world out there. So go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 